0: At first it was just one sheep per day, but as the deadly dragon grew more powerful, he demanded more and more. Soon it was the people of Silene themselves. So intense was his insatiable hunger, his desperate desire for more and more until Until one day, a courageous knight named George agrees to confront the dragon. After a long and bloody battle, George finally defeats the cruel beast, saves the princess, and rescues the town. With what weapon did George slay the dragon? A spear? A lance? A sword? Maybe, just maybe, the dragon was slain by love. Welcome to Slain by Love, your weekly sermon podcast from the pulpit of St. George's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Good morning, y'all. Please be seated. Good morning. Have you ever heard? the sound of a, of a dog squealing out of love and joy? Have you ever heard the sound of a dog squealing out of love and joy? And actually, have you ever heard a dog groaning out of a deep, deep sense of love and Joy. I will never forget it that night, almost 14 years ago. I will never forget it when, on a very stormy night, it happened there in East Texas. The branches of our huge trees in the front yard were swaying and bending in the harsh wind, leaves cascading down under the grass, wind howling all around. There was thunder. There was lightning. Our bench swing on the front porch. Yes, we had a bench swing on the front porch was rocking, swaying back and forth. And there she was. I will never forget it. A sweet, terrified little puppy dog came sheepishly limping up onto our front porch, seeking shelter. A dog who was the spitting image of Benji, Benji, that iconic Schnauzer Yorkshire Terrier mix, from the movies of my childhood. Y'all remember Benji? So sweet. Over the years after Janie adopted us on that stormy night, she grew to be a beloved member of our family. She grew to be so loved. But y'all, let's be honest. She was Bella's dog. She slept with Bella. Bella's the one who took care of her, at least in theory. (laughs) She was Bella's dog, never has a human canine love been deeper than the love between Bella and Janie. So fast forward, fast forward about 13 and a half years to this last Wednesday night at 1803 Broadmoor Drive, about a mile and a half that way at the Bolter home. Uh, Fast forward to that night when Bella finally arrived home from Seattle via Italy to our Austin home. Uh, she walked through that front door, and Janie went crazy. It had been many months since Janie and Bella had been together. When Bella got walked through that front door, Janie went crazy. When Bella dropped her bags, got down on the floor with Janie, the dog was overcome with joy. Have you ever experienced the squealing of a dog? Janie was squealing with joy and delight, but actually... Those squeals were only half the story, because as Janie lay there in Bella's lap, looking up into Bella's face, pressing her body against Bella's, licking her face ferociously, Janie started making another sound. She actually began to groan. I won't try to imitate Janie's groaning, (laughs) but it's as if she was so overcome With emotion, that the only way she could give expression to that feeling was to let out these deep, aching groans groans of love, groans of affection, groans of passion. Now, dear friends, did you know that the Bible has a lot to say about groans? and groaning. Do you remember, I wonder if you remember what happens in Exodus chapter three near the beginning of our story called the Bible? Uh, Here's the children of Israel and they are struggling. They are in pain. They're suffering under the ruthless, unremitting iron fist of the evil King Pharaoh. The children of Israel have become slaves in Egypt made to endure the crushing burden of forced labor. They're slaves. The pharaoh has now tightened his grip and is demanding more and more work, faster and faster work, with less resources and less time. And what do the people do? They begin to groan. They begin to groan, not with groans like those of our sweet puppy dog, Janie. Being reunited with her beloved Bella. No, these groans, the groans of the children of Israel, these are groans of pain, groans of sorrow, groans of suffering. Exodus 3 7 puts it like this Then the Lord said, I have, ob- I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard their groans. I've heard their groans on behalf of their taskmasters, close quote. Now, friends, today we come to Romans chapter eight. On this eighth Sunday after Pentecost, we come to Romans eight, and guess what? We encounter these groanings yet again. And it's the same groaning. It's the same groaning that we find in Exodus three because once again, this groaning is a response to suffering. The groaning here in Romans chapter 8, it's the same groaning as Exodus 3, and yet, as we're going to see in a moment, it's become transformed, it's become transfigured, it has been redeemed, it has become unspeakably wonderful. That is what I want to talk to you all about just for the next few minutes this morning. In this passage, Romans 8, we hear something of a symphony. It's a kind of symphony of groaning. In fact, here in Romans 8, we find three levels of groaning. One compelling biblical theologian named N.T. Wright calls them concentric circles. You've got concentric circles of groaning. On the outer level, on that outer circle, you have the groaning of creation. Verse 22, by the way, if you're looking at your service leaflet, This is like smack dab in the middle of that epistle lesson this morning. On the outer circle, you have the groaning of creation. It's in verse 22 of Romans 8. Then, moving one step inward, you have the groaning of God's children. Then, at the center of the circles, at the very center of these circles, at the very center of our existence... You have a third experience of groaning. Can you guess who it is? Can you guess who it is that is groaning most deeply in all of creation, longing and sighing for the salvation to come? Can you guess who it is? Hold that thought. Hold that thought. We'll get there. Hold that thought. I'm glad you asked. Hold that thought. First, y'all, let us look at this outer circle. This outer circle, the groaning of creation, Paul says in Romans, uh, in verse 22 of Romans 8, quote, the whole creation, he says, has been groaning in labor pains until now. Think about that for a moment. At this outer level, this outer concentric circle, who is it that's groaning? Creation. Creation. All of creation, not a person, unless creation is a person, not a person, not a character in a story, but creation itself is groaning, Paul says. Nature itself. Now, speaking of pets, one of the most tender things that I get to do as a parish minister or parish priest is to comfort folks when they lose a pet. I've had that experience myself several times over the years, and it is unspeakably difficult. Nature itself, the animal kingdom itself, is groaning with brokenness. And notice what it says. Notice what Paul says there in verse uh, 22, right in the middle of the passage. Notice what he says. He uses this language of labor pains. Did you catch that? Labor pains. Now, I have never given birth to a child. Surprise, I've never actually given birth to a child, but I have seen my wife do it, not once, but twice. And each time there in the delivery room, I have witnessed something exceedingly strange. Several hours into the labor process, Bouquet developed these strange splotches of red on her face. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. I mean, I'm a typical guy. I'm I'm acting like a typical guy right now, even as I discuss this, right? But she had these splotches of red on her face. And and, and after the delivery, after it was all over, the doctor told us uh, that Bouquet had pushed so hard. She pushed so hard that the capillaries in her face right underneath the surface of her skin Began to burst with the pressure from the exertion with which she was pushing that baby out of her. According to Paul, this is how it is with creation labor pains. Creation is straining, nature is groaning longing for redemption, longing for a world in which there are no more Hurricane Katrinas, there are no more forest fires raging out of control in Canada, no more COVID-19, no more death. And that, dear friends, is the first circle, the outermost level of groaning. But Paul doesn't stop there. Paul continues. Paul continues to a deeper level of groaning, a more inward circle on the part of God's children. Verse 23, God's children. Deep down in our hearts, we too, the children of God, know that things are not right. We too are burdened with many sorrows and afflictions, just like those children of Israel in Exodus chapter 3. This past week, a community of St. George's, a beloved uh, father, a dad. Something happened, and our community received horrible news. A young dad, a member of our community, died suddenly uh, about a week ago uh, while volunteering on a project for the Boy Scouts. The causes of the tragedy, unknown, but no doubt related directly or indirectly to the 105-degree heat. And the family and the loved ones now left behind, you have to know that they are groaning. They know, and we know, that things are not right. We feel it in our bones. And yet, dear friends, what does Paul say this morning? When he speaks of this middle circle, of groaning, the children of the sons, the children of God. What does he say about this middle circle of groaning? He says something interesting. This middle circle of groaning, it comes with a seed planted, a seed planted in your heart, a seed of hope. This seed of hope, Paul calls the Holy Spirit. That's what it says in verse 23. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait, as we wait for Salvation. See, that outermost circle of groaning, the groaning of nature slash creation, that travail of childbirth, there is some hope there, but there's no definite assurance. I mean, when bouquet pushed and pushed to bring each of our children out of the womb, there was no guarantee of success. But friends, we have the Holy Spirit we have the holy spirit planted deep within us in this more interior circle we have the holy spirit planted deep within us just as jesus this morning talks about planter a planter sowing seeds we have the holy spirit planted deep within us and we have that holy spirit in our what in our hearts did you know that the psalms this morning speak not once not twice but three times about our hearts We have the Holy Spirit planted in our hearts. And guess what? Paul says that that is a guarantee. The Greek noun he uses there is the word first fruits, first fruits. It's a weird word that also means earnest money or down payment. For example, when you put down a down payment on a house, what's that? A down payment on a house. It's when you say to the bank, here's a little money now as a guarantee. Did you hear that? A guarantee that you're going to get a lot of money later, right? That is what the Holy Spirit is for us. When we experience the Holy Spirit, God is assuring us of the salvation that is coming our way. And so you see, middle circle hope, middle circle hope is better than outer circle hope, right? Better, yes, but not the best. And dare I say it, not even good enough. It's not the best because why? Because the best form of hope is at the very center, not at the outer circle, not in the middle circle, but at the very, very center of our lives. You know why? You know why that is the best hope of all? It's because guess who is groaning there? Guess who's groaning there, there at the very center of things? Paul tells us in verse 26. Now, verse 26 is not on your service leaflet, sorry. But Paul tells us in verse 26, quote, likewise, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. The very Spirit intercedes with groanings. There it is again, groanings. There are three groanings in Romans 8, and this is the third, the last one, the best one. The Holy Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep. For words Now, notice. Notice what the Holy Spirit does not do. Paul does not say that the Holy Spirit rescues us. Paul does not say that the Holy Spirit rescues us from our predicament. Paul does not say that the Holy Spirit makes all the pain go away. No, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, Paul says. So often in the Christian life, our way forward is not the way of escape, That's easy, that's tempting, believe me. (laughs) I get it, but so often the way forward is not the way of escape, but rather the way through. We're not called to escape our problems, we are called to go through our problems, to quote Robert Frost, which I think is probably connected to some Buddhist koan, but I couldn't find that, I ran out of time, to quote Robert Frost, the way out is the way through. The only way out is the way through. See, our hope is not in avoiding the pain. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in experiencing Christ's presence. That is the Christian way. The psalm this morning also speaks of the way, and that is the Christian way. Experiencing Christ in the middle, in the midst of the pain. Like Daniel's three friends in the fiery furnace, Daniel chapter 3, I don't know if you remember that story, but there were three of them in, in the fire, in the furnace. They were being tortured because they wouldn't bow down and worship King Nebuchadnezzar. And there were three of them that the king threw into that fire as punishment, but they were not magically rescued from those flames. Rather, what it says is that one like the Son of Man, a fourth person was found in that furnace, a fourth one. One like the Son of Man, the Christian way is experiencing Christ. Who was it with them in the flames? It was Christ. The Christian way is experiencing Christ in the midst of the pain. And friends, I want to close like this. Y'all remember that story from Exodus 3, how those groanings of the children of Israel became audible to God. The way I picture it is that God is like way up in the sky somewhere, lofty, on high, maybe on a cloud, maybe at the top of a mountain, like that's just what my imagination does. Wherever God is, he's high and exalted, exalted high above the heavens. But from that place of exaltation, he can look down and God can see the children of Israel suffering in Egypt, and as they begin to suffer and groan, their cries rise up to the Lord who's way up there, and God begins to hear them, and that's what the Lord actually says in Exodus 3, I've heard the cries of my people, and how wonderful. We have a God of compassion, how wonderful the fact that God, that we have a God who's full of compassion is such a comfort. Even in our psalm this morning, verse 15, it says, the Lord is full of compassion, slow to anger and abounding in great love. How wonderful, yes. But as great as that is, as good as that is, here in Romans 8, it is so much better. You see, in Exodus 3, God, the exalted God, has compassion, yes, but he remains way up there. He remains in the heavens. Yes, God feels sorry for God's children, but he remains aloof, lofty, High and lifted up, God stays safe, sanitized, avoiding any risk of contamination. But look at Romans 8. Look at the apostolic teaching about Jesus Christ. Look at Romans 8. What does Paul say? In the midst of the suffering in this world, does God remain aloof? Does God remain high and exalted and above the fray and lifted up? You see, in Romans 8, we hear the gospel. We actually hear it, the gospel of a God who comes down. The gospel of a God who comes down, who does not remain above the fray. He comes down and he takes on the form of a slave, Philippians chapter 1. Here in Romans 8, the same God comes down in the form of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. When we groan, it is God the Holy Spirit who is groaning in us. God the Holy Spirit groaning with us. God the Holy Spirit groaning as us. With sighs and groans, too deep for words. Dear friends, our God did not remain above the fray. I'm looking at y'all in this room and I know what some of you are going through and I know that you are groaning Our God did not remain above the fray, sanitized and isolated. Our God comes down. He enters into your situation. He groans with you, in you, and as you. God does. The Holy Spirit does. She does. God does. We have a God who tested positive not to coronavirus like one or two of our parishioners who aren't here today did this last week. We have a God who tested positive not to coronavirus but to sin, That's why the scriptures say that he took on our sin. He bore our sin on the cross. He put them to death, nailing them to the cross, which is why the beautiful red doors of this church are now red, to remind us of that, to remind us of the cross, to remind us of the blood of the cross. But, y'all, had God remained above the fray, had God remained high and lifted up, he never could have done that. He, she never god never could have embraced the cross god never could have embraced the hard wood of the cross we have a god who comes down we have a god who comes deep inside of us thanks be to god this morning we have a god who groans in the name of the living god father son and holy spirit Thanks for joining us at the pulpit of St. George's, Austin, where the love of God in Christ slays our enemies, our fears, our guilt, our worries. How are they slain? Only by love. Special thanks to the good folks of St. George's and especially to that masterful media guru, Liam Dolan Henderson. See you next week. Peace and be well.